Today's podcast is sponsored by Youth Ministry Booster, an online youth ministry resource network that for $25 a month provides all the graphics, games, visuals, resources, and community support that you need to enhance your large group gatherings. Boost your youth ministry at www.youthministrybooster.com. Get everything you need to make your next teaching series great. Visit www.youthministrybooster.com and get boosted today. Welcome to episode 61 of After 9. We've got a special guest on the podcast for this new 2017 year. This is Dr. or Professor Andrew Root of Luther Seminary. Uh, Andy is a youth worker, a youth pastor, and now youth ministry professor. Uh, Has written, I think, almost over a dozen books, but has the heart of a youth worker, the expertise and the experience of growing up and doing youth ministry. I know that he has been excellent in helping provide for many youth pastors some of the theological resources, language, uh, grammar for how to do youth ministry in a way that is deeply rooted in the history of the church, uh, pun intended, and also encouraging for us that youth ministry is worth doing and really a champion for a lot of youth ministers in the academic world. And so I hope you enjoy this podcast. You'll be surprised at how heartfelt that this episode gets. Um, There is some real truthfulness in the middle of all this and by the end of it we talk about our dogs and whether or not the canines have souls so stick around at least until the end to hear about one of andy's new projects but up next this is our good friend at after nine dr andy root hey everybody welcome to a very special episode of after nine i'm zach working here with my good friend the honorable the esteemed professor dr andrew root say hi andy how you doing Hey, thanks for that uh, introduction I can't live up to, so thank you very much. Listen, man, it's not every day that youth ministry gets a professor. I mean, I feel like there has to be, like, part of the world that's like, hold on a minute. like. <laughs> but it's true. Like, you you have brought to us, um, I mean, are we up to 10 now? How many books do we have on youth ministry and relationships, uh, ministering in the ways of famous theologians as a youth minister? <laughs> I mean, you, you have literally written the books on youth ministry and, like, I know that I, for one, am super thankful. And so I guess maybe a little bit for our audience that's not fanboying, if you would just share a little bit how in the world that you ended up being involved in youth ministry and getting into becoming a professor of studies and theology and practices related to youth ministry. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately for me, it's probably an experience most other people out there listening have had. I mean, I was I was, I was in high school and my youth pastor invited me to volunteer and it seemed like it was pretty cool and pretty fun. And then I realized I was kind of good at it. Like kids <laughs> liked me. I had some pretty good ideas. And uh, then I went to college and thought, man, I, there's probably nothing else I can do in the world than be a youth pastor. So that was my plan <laughs> all the way through college and started 
started, you know, got my first uh, paid youth ministry job uh, when I was in college. I think I was after my freshman year, so I was like 19 or 20 and got my first, you know, official paid youth ministry job and started doing it and thought that would be my life. And then I had a friend in college, I guess it was our junior year, and he said he was going to go to seminary. And I remember looking at him across the cafeteria table and thinking, you're going to seminary? I know I'm smarter than you, so maybe I should go to seminary. So then I decided to go to seminary and uh, just thought I would, you know, get an MDiv or something and, and be a youth pastor and uh, was kind of struck by all the theological ideas and uh, started working at a Presbyterian church while I was in seminary. And uh, a lot of really interesting ministry issues came up. And to my surprise, I mean, I thought if I'd ever study anything, it would be like sociology or something, you know, sure, to try sure, to look sure. at the the cultural phenomenon of young people or something. But uh to my great surprise, which was hugely transformational to me, was that uh, big theological ideas, and particularly big big ideas about who God was, uh, who the church was for, things like that, were actually the most relevant to to my youth ministry work. So that's how I kind of stumbled into it. Next thing I knew, I was, you know, at a uh, at a PhD program writing a dissertation, and and kind of haven't looked <laughs> back. So I mean, I was somebody who like probably a lot of people out there was really into ideas, and uh, okay. then then kind of slid into that but ministry has always been a really central thing for me so i think right now like what i'm really about is trying to give really kind of significant theological reflection on what ministry is and what ministry is about and i don't think there's any better place to think about ministry than actually within youth ministry so yeah would you say a little more maybe why that is because i think i mean everybody that's listening is involved in some way in youth ministry but just for our own kind of like group affirmation (laughs) Would you just give us the encouraging word of why youth ministry is the best, like, nexus for, like, ideas related to church and thought and sociology and future? Yeah, and to give us a big old pat on the back. I mean, we work with youth people. You just told us that we are in the center of the God's most important work, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't, you know, we can get caught in an echo chamber here, probably, you know, pulling a muscle, patting ourselves on the back or whatever. But, um, (laughs) no, I really do think that. I really do think that youth ministry is a really interesting laboratory to think about other uh, significant theological ideas about ministry. So, um, I mean, I guess I'd say two things. One that maybe kind of lowers our confidence a little bit and another one that maybe blows it up, which is I think we have had a tendency in youth ministry to kind of overassume that we're different than other forms of ministry, you know, like mm-hmm. we have mm-hmm. liked, it's been part of our kind of networking powers that we've niched ourselves off a lot yeah. and had, you know, a, a <laughs> lot of our own kind of initiatives. That's been good, but I, I think it's kind of uh, at least blurried the fact that ministry is ministry really, especially if we think about it kind of theologically and next to kind of who God is and, and how we encounter God. Uh, but at the other side of that, I mean, I just think it's really historically valid to say that it's been within youth ministry that uh, really significant theological work has been done. All of you know, you referenced or at least kind of pointed to my book, Bonhoeffer as Youth Worker. Yeah, um, yeah. And really, I mean, there's an interesting kind of historical analysis that the, the pastor – Historically, really before World War II, a huge piece of your job was to work with young people. Um, okay. You know, so uh, so I think that's true. And then the other side is I just think you can also find the second half of the 20th century that it's really been people who have been connected to youth ministry, whether in mainline traditions or evangelical traditions, um, that have really been paradigm shifters of how the how the church kind of moves within society. So I just think there's a lot of freedom. There's a lot of freedom to ask big questions. There's a lot of freedom to, to – to do new things. Um, I think we all see ministry with young people as more than just kind of like liturgical exercises or larger commitment, like 
uh, I don't know, commitment to just doctrinal points, that we know that there's this deep human connection, that there's this need to kind of share in the life of another person, that I think just has huge theological purchase, that uh, that it really is a way forward for us to think about how we encounter God in our world. So I, I guess that's my bias. And, um, no, hey, we like that so bias. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. As, as a community of youth ministers, like we like your bias and it is encouraging. And I think a lot of the friction that we feel in youth ministry is that we feel like we have literally claimed this like important work and we just want everybody else to buy into it. And the structure, the struggle comes from the things that seem structured around youth ministry, like want to be cheerleaders for youth ministry and not participators in the way that youth ministry seems to be so uh, innovative and deeply like relational and kind of accounting for like the full person and not just like you said <laughs> liturgical cycles or practices that only exist on like Sunday. I mean like like youth ministry always seems to be a multi day of the week kind of gathering where so many other kind of like churchy kind of ministry happenings are like very like you know isolated to like Sunday only. And so no, I love that and like we love that you are such a encourager supporter. And like historical and theological proponent for youth ministry as part of you know the landscape of of change in the church, and so that's great. So that's the that's the question maybe that got you into youth ministry. Um, but I think a lot of people want to know. Okay, so here's a guy he's teaching, he's writing books. That's great. But ground us in like a story or a favorite youth ministry moment, because much like what you shared about the fullness of the humanity of youth ministry. I think for many youth workers, youth ministers, there are these couple really like kind of foundational formational, like episodes or memories or stories that keep us coming back to the enterprise of youth ministry. Yeah. So for probably for me, I, probably two of them really, I mean, it, it probably starts with my, my youth worker experience. I mean, um, and I've written about this because it's such a central experience for me is that, uh, like I said, when I was in seminary in Southern California, that I, I was invited to, to be this youth worker at this church. And this church is a large Presbyterian church in Glendale, so a few few miles from where I was going to, to seminary at Fuller. And um, they had they were looking for like a part-time youth worker, junior high youth worker, because a bunch of kids had showed up on the church steps one Wednesday night. And they weren't really sure why they had shown up, and they were all kids from like the neighborhood. And this yeah, this church yeah. was one of these uh, really interesting, fairly affluent churches, I guess you could say, um, mainly kind of white middle class churches. But the neighborhood that the church was in had changed over the last you know thirty or forty years, mm-hmm. and now most people who are going to the church were driving in from the foothills uh, to the kind of the, the commerce area of Glendale, and uh, the kids who started showing up at the church steps were just more economically and ethnically diverse than the kind of people who went to the church. Okay, so they okay. they were looking for someone to minister to these young people, and I had just come off staff with Young Life and could talk a game about relational youth ministry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. And they had some Young Life people on the, like, the search committee or whatever, and so I, I spoke the game, and you know my common joke for this always is, like, I was the best read, most talented youth worker that I knew about. Like, I really was, you know? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so I got the job, and I thought I knew exactly what I was doing. And yeah. I launched it, and, you know, it was like Youth Ministry 101, at least, you know, two decades ago or a decade and a half ago, that young people wanted a relationship with an adult. And if you could just yeah. be cool enough that you could build yeah. a relationship, and yeah. through the relationship you could get, you know, kids to come to church or read their Bible or, you know, whatever whatever end you wanted to get to. And so I tried, and with these kids, uh, everything that I had been taught did not work. You know, I'd show up at 
after school event or something or see these kids in in the neighborhood and be like, hey, what's up? And they would yeah. look at me. Hey, everybody, and, it's Pastor Andy. You want to hang yeah, out? Yeah, yeah right, right, exactly. And these kids would look at me and like, get the F out of my face, except, you know, they said the real thing. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, in Yeah, yeah, I'd you're a cre- creeper, yeah. Right, yeah. And I read every popular youth ministry book and, like, unfortunately, no Doug Fields book ever told me what you do after you're, you know, throwing the F word is thrown in your face. Like, what's the next thing you say? So this, it was just a really formative experience and it actually felt like a deep failure. Like, I was told that this was what was supposed to happen. This was going to work this way that I'd just build a relationship if I was a talented youth worker and it just didn't happen. Um, and you know, it was in the midst of kind of asking those big questions, like what is a relationship? What is a relationship in the context of ministry? How could God be involved in a relationship that really moved me to into the project that's been really central for me of like, how do we encounter the presence of God? How do young people encounter the presence of God? How do we speak about the presence of God in a sensible way in in a uh, confessional way, in a way that's connected to biblical texts, but also to people's lived experience. And so that experience was really deeply, deeply central to me. The other experience is not one from youth ministry, but from being a, a child myself. And I've written about this in two books, but that had the experience of when I was a four year old, um, uh, my first friend I ever had died of cancer. Um, and so there was just, a, I think it was a really deep imprinting experience of being four and recognizing like the world is a dark place and, um, there's life, there's joy, there's the love of your mother, there's the love of your siblings, there, there's the love of your grandparents, but there's also this monster in the world that destroys four year olds, you know, there's cancer and there's death. And I think that that you know I, I have these very vivid memories of being a young child and just being struck with really big questions, and um, I, I'm just I'm kind of fascinated by I think people who really stick in youth ministry and the people who have really uh, I, I don't want to say like a deep heart for youth ministry that sounds a little bit too sentimental but people who really have a I think a, a deep passion to think about it have this recognition that young people and even little children have these deep wells of experience that are deeply theological that have to be attended to. And I think too often the kind of establishment within the church is thought, well, youth worker is someone who can kind of be spazzy and enjoy being with young people and can stay up all night. But I actually would want to look at the kind of the evaluative measure being like, do do youth workers, and I think this is true for those people who stick, recognize the utter depth of um, the experience of children and youth and the big questions that they ask. And, um, you know, you won't be surprised, but I was just really taken aback that that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German uh, Lutheran theologian, had a similar experience when he was 12, when his his brother was killed in the front in World War I, and Mm. it broke his family so severely that his mother left the house for months, and his father didn't come out of his study, and... um, you know, so this experience at 12 years old, I think, is what became a catalyst for Bonhoeffer to always be really interested in the experience of children and youth as a real theological place to think about God's activity and what the church is. And so, um, ah, yeah, so those are the experiences, I think, for me that are really central. No, that's powerful. I, I, think, I think you're right in saying that, like, it seems like most people that are in the workings the ministry of of caring for young people either have a really formative painful experience or had a really formative like supporting experience like either you're working out of a hurt or you're working out of like a, like a healing or a help of the community right like it seems like most youth pastors in, in a lighter way 
most youth pastors either had a really crappy youth ministry experience and they want to make up for it, or they had a really great one and they want to like continue that for other people yeah. because it was so meaningful for them. So yeah, I, I, mean, I think, think it's, I think it's deep. It's deeply visceral, right? Like it's one of those like this is the experience. Like this, like you are so young and in need of like nurturing and formation and like if, if you've ever like really been down to like the nerve or the marrow of that and like weather to the other side you just how can you not be helped but like drawn to that that's good yeah that's good. yeah okay so i need you to think back though uh, okay. because like you're bought in and you're you're you are at the academic forefront fighting cheering for us as youth workers youth ministers but surely and you maybe alluded a little bit to this you were trained, you were educated in the Young Life way from 15 years ago, um, and it did not work for you. So was there ever a night that you almost quit and you're like, you know what, maybe youth ministry can't be done, or maybe I'm not the one to be doing it? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, for sure, for sure. Like back in those experiences back 15 years ago, I mean, um, that realization that the way I'd been taught to do relational ministry and then to come up against you know, the experience with these young people – uh, there was a group of us who would drive from Pasadena to do ministry together, and then we would drive back, and we would be in the car and all excited, you know, at 3.30 or whatever, going in for the Wednesday night program, um, music playing, excited, this was going to be great, and then we'd all often come <laughs> it's like back. A Wayne's, like, it's like a Wayne's World, like Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Like rocking out. Yeah, I mean, we were living in L.A., and it was like K-Rock playing, and I don't know, this is like the <laughs> – <laughs> late 90s so what was on like blink 182 or something like that sure, I don't sure, know. Sure. Um, and so uh you know we were we listened to music we we're just excited to be doing ministry and then the two or three of us that would come back you know at 10 30 or whatever after we got the youth room all cleaned up we would be just in utter silence because we just it was chaos and it just wasn't working and mm. we felt like it, it wasn't even just that it wasn't working. That wasn't the bad part. And I think this is a real trap with youth ministry is that we felt like we were failures. You know what I oh, mean? Like yeah. Yeah, we yeah. felt like we, like we had not only failed these young people, but we'd failed God that we'd mm. failed ourselves, that we'd failed our own ambition of what it would be. Um, I mean, I think this is a trap of youth ministry, right? Like there's so much freedom in it, but part of, the kind of downside of that is you're supposed to be building something and building yeah. something significant, and we weren't building anything. Like we were just spinning our wheels and um, weren't sure what to do. So we felt like absolute failure. So that's one more contemporary and more contemporary situation is I, um, I we uh, my wife is a pastor, um, Cara, and so we have a um, we go, her church is a small uh, city church in Minneapolis, and so we have a lot of children. We have some some youth, but now I've taken over the. I guess middle school um, yeah. <laughs> youth group. So like, you know, I got like two or three kids who show up. It's really quite beautiful actually. But I have to tell you almost every Sunday, I feel like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And, um, and you know, trying to be organized, but not being organized, trying, you know, trying to have a conversation and not working. So, I mean, I just think like failure and self doubt is, is part of it for everyone. And if we're not really kind of doing ministry out of, out of those questions, of those doubts, those of of the, really our own personhood, really struggling with who we are, is this working? Um, I don't know. I just actually think that the most interesting theology and the best kind of ministry experiences really happen out of out of those those realities mm -hmm. of failure. So yeah, that's good. Well, okay, that's that's strong, and I think there is some people that have really resonated with the idea that to do good ministry is in many ways to wrestle with your own personhood. Uh, and, and especially youth ministry. Like if you're doing youth ministry, working with students that are asking the questions of who they are, the questions that get thrown back at you are, well, who are you? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's strong. So one of the things that we at Afternoon like to ask is is kind of that in that midweek, so whether it was 1030 in Pasadena or maybe it's a Sunday afternoon for you now in Minneapolis, what are kind of those like after nine, like post-gathering, post-service questions that either like spiral you into or out of the like like the doubt or the worry or the wonder or success or expectations? Yeah, like in other words, like how do I – how do, how do you I, cope? Self care. How do you cope? How do, you, how do I cope? Yeah, um, I cope. How, by, how do how do you not like like fall off the tracks every week? <laughs> yeah, I think I cope by medicating myself with hours and hours of television. Okay. Um, okay. So no, uh, I mean I guess probably in part. I mean I think finding your way to relax is obviously um, important. Uh, you know I I think a huge move for me in in that ministry experience that led me to be someone who actually writes and and tries to think about youth ministry was really having to ask that question, like who's in control of this thing and what does it actually mean for me to be successful? And is that even the right question to ask or what does it actually mean to be faithful? And and, and what does that actually look like? And so um, I think for me, a huge piece of this was leaning into what actually the revelation of God looks like. And if, and if I'm called to be a minister who's not just there to build a program, but to actually participate in the act and being of God in the world, then I have to really try to bend my life towards how it is that God acts and moves in with within the world, where God is actually found, um, particularly found in this person of Jesus Christ. And I just don't think that that is often found in like 15% growth in your church or, you know, being awarded the greatest youth minister in your area (laughs) or something like that. I, I just don't think that that's true. And I'm not trying to say like, that's an excuse to kind of, uh, be irresponsible or just to do crappy ministry. And then to kind of coat that with, well, you know, that I'm trying to be theologically credible or something, but I do think we have to become, um, or I think what maybe there, – there's no way to kind of uh, completely protect yourself from moving in and out of melancholy. I just think that at least in my theological tradition, you know, I just think of kind of early Reformation theology. Like coming in and out of melancholy is just kind of part of it, you know, whether it's Kierkegaard or it's Luther or it's whoever, yeah, yeah. you know, like that's just kind of part of it. Um, and that's why you need friends and that's why you need a community. Um, but I do think that our attention – I do think there's a liberation in making our attention the question of where is Jesus Christ um, more than like what does success look like or how can I be successful? But where actually is Jesus Christ and how can I just be faithful to creating space um, to where I think that is? You know, is that in the context of really sharing in the humanity of a young person? And so therefore, how do I how do we this Wednesday create spaces for that to happen? And it might not ha- – I mean it, nothing significant may happen, but you are faithful to creating the spaces for that. Or if you're in a, a hugely kind of you know liturgical tradition you think that, that God really comes to us when we take communion, then you've had a really good Wednesday night even if everything else has felt really crappy and out of control if young people have taken communion. Um and and pray together like those things are those things that I think are really quite significant. So the freedom of that is you can't control when God breaks forth and shows up. You can yeah, only kind of yeah, be yeah. faithful to bend your imagination towards it. And I think even more so in ministry and in youth ministry, bending your practices towards it. You know, like the the ways you kind of formulate space and and hold space. And then uh, 
I don't know. I think there's a little bit of freedom in having this kind of mystical quality that God will show or God will not show. And it is not your responsibility to bring that. Um, and so, I don't know. I, I take a little bit of, of faith in kind of Karl Barth's assertion about preaching the word. And he wasn't talking about youth ministry, obviously, but preaching, being the preacher where you, you do your due diligence to preach the word and then you preach the word. And then at, with a, some kind of level of ambivalence, you're not sure if it was word of God or not, but you you hope, you pray, you 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 take faith that God moved through it, and I think we we need to do the same thing in the context of youth ministry. And and I don't know, I don't know that that also ever solves the fact that we go in and out of melancholy, but I think it it does uh it does orient us in a, in a different kind of way, maybe. I love that you gave us the guardrails of liturgy and mysticism for our melancholy. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, thank you, thank you, Doctor Root, for giving us uh, the uh, the 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 wide berth of liturgical practices and mystical uh, imagination as as the way for our like melancholy to like sl- like like l- glide back and forth between how we're doing each week. No, that's good. That's good. W- one of the things you said though, I, I just I picked up on it. I would just love to hear a little bit more. You talked about bending our imagination and bending our practices. What, what do you uh, maybe in 2016, 2017, kind of thinking about some of these things? Like, what would that look like in youth ministry to be flexible enough to bend our practices to make space for the hopeful uh, arrival or revelation of God. Yeah, I mean probably for me the best example um I just I really think there's something incredibly transformational about um well, I think there's something incredibly transformational about uh, a human person sharing in each other's lives um as a really deep kind of reality, you know, biblical reality. Lord, Lord, when did we see you? Which is a huge claim of asking about the encounter with the living Christ. And it, it happens in this this time of sharing in each other's personhood. When you shared in your neighbor's homelessness, when you shared in your neighbor's hunger, when you shared in their imprisonment, I was there. So, um, you know, creating spaces, bending our imaginations towards this kind of level of, of uh, you know, personal sharing, sharing in each other's personhood becomes really significant for me. But the way that that really practically gets lived out is I think there's just something utterly transformational about about hearing another person's story and they're testifying mm-hmm. to their experience and so maybe bending our imagination and kind of living in in the ambivalence of that is to create spaces for young people to hear stories and maybe eventually articulate stories and you can't always control those you know like when you when you create those you you can't always control um what what happens in the in that storytelling time but um you can create the space for those stories to be told you can you can hold the environment for it to be a safe place for people to tell their stories you can um work on what's the prompt for the storytelling Mm -hmm. um but i think that to me becomes a significant way i don't think it's possible really to get young people to bend their imaginations towards something theological or by theological i mean kind of imagining where God acts and moves in their life without hearing people testify to those experiences. Mm. Like if we want young people to, to be able to articulate the presence and even the absence of God in their life, they have to hear people, um, often adults, uh, articulate and testify to the presence and absence um, in their life. So, I mean, I often tell youth workers when I, when I talk to them that, you know, if I was going to have a rubric in my ministry, like, you know, as opposed to like, we want to see 15% growth this year or, we, you know, we're going to have 30 camp spots and we want to be able to fill all 30 or whatever. I mean, some of those times, sometimes those numbers are important, but the number that I, the rubric I would really use is, you know, you know, it's an arbitrary number, but something like, you know, I want when a young person uh, moves out of our student ministry, our youth ministry, I want them to have heard 30, 35, 
stories from stories. adults that okay. essentially okay. we would call testimonies. Yeah. yeah you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I, God, and I want good. those to be some like, you know, God healed me when I had cancer. That would be great. But I also want them to hear adults struggle with how yeah. they're holding on to faith, even when they're not hearing answers to their prayers, even when their life has got pretty bleak, like how they continue to hold on and sometimes are more doubting than they are believing. But nevertheless, here they are standing in front of these, you know, group of high school students or, or middle school students testifying to their faith. So, um, so I guess that's what I mean about bending that imagination that we need those stories to bend it around. Um, and and somehow we haven't done a great job of that. Yeah. Well, and I I think, man, what you just, what you just gave for people is such a important kind of rubric or metric for, um, something that we can actually like, participate in like that's one of the things that i think is so hard for many youth ministers is they're held to numbers that they have no control over mm-hmm. like it's like hey you need to grow the youth ministry and it's like well unless i rent a bus and pick kids up like i can't guarantee that it's going to happen or like i can't make sure that kids aren't going to be on vacation or camp week but i can make sure that people in our church are like sharing in greater quantity their stories of what god is doing in their life this year than last year yeah uh, and that's that's deeply meaningful and then also like it's numerical and that's like you said like the numbers can be really important if we're using them in the right kind of way that's good yeah that's really yep, good yep. okay so that's helpful now but like question for you is if you could go back to first year youth ministry mm. young life figured out Andrew Root, young Andrew, what is something you would tell first year Andrew Root as uh, Professor Andy Root about youth ministry? Like, like, what does he need to know that maybe only you could get through to his head? (laughs) (laughs) Well, with my psychological disposition, I could not get through to my own head. So, yeah. Um, No, I think what I would want to what I'd want to say to my past self and probably what I'd want to say to first year youth ministry people today is that. I mean, this is going to sound sentimental, but that you really are what you already need to be. You know, like we have such a kind of pull. I mean, it's just a larger American culture pull, but it's definitely a a church culture pull too. That you have to become something. You have to you have to grow in and move into something. And I'm not saying there isn't spiritual growth. There's a maturity that happens. Of course, that happens. But really, the very vehicle. to the heart of your ministry is really helping young people encounter the very presence of God. And you already are that, like you already are a person And personhood is the very location where God encounters us and where we can testify to the depth of, of God's own personhood in Jesus Christ coming to us and bringing us new life out of our experiences of death. So you are already what you need to be. And I guess my biggest push is I'd want to remind my early self who was trying so hard to look the part of a youth worker, of a youth pastor, of the person in charge, to just be a person, to just mm. be myself. Um, and I don't mean that in this kind of American sentimental uh, age of authenticity. Just be who you are, man, and let let it be. I don't mean it that way. I mean, <laughs> just be real, man. Just yeah, be real. <laughs> I don't quite. I don't mean it that way. I mean in this kind of this freedom that it's in the midst of your own personhood, not something that you construct, not something that you, not some argument you can, you can prove, um, that it's in your own vulnerability. It's in your own, um, wrestling with your own faith, um, in the appropriate ways that you, you share that, um, with others and invite others into it, that, that real significant things will happen. So yeah, I guess that's what I would want to tell myself is to just, okay. to just lean into that and to continue to seek, uh, for Jesus Christ in, in the midst of that. And maybe the other thing I would say is just to find a friend that I can f- confess my own uh, 
oh my own ambitions too, or my or my own motivations. You know what I okay. you know what I mean? Like we've had uh, years here, decades of youth ministry in a really helpful way, pushing towards purpose. Like know your purpose. What's the purpose of Wednesday night? What's the purpose of Sunday morning? Be really clear about your purpose, and that's usually what we tell first year kind of uh youth workers just you got to be clear about your purpose don't just do crap to do crap be clear about your purpose and that of course is important but you know next to purpose that's really a driving force is motivation so a big mm-hmm. question for first year youth workers is what's motivating you mm-hmm. like what spirit is motivating you is it mm-hmm. to be successful is it to relive your own high school days it's is it to um you know, have uh, finally be popular in your life yeah. or something like that. Be cool what? now because you weren't cool then. Yeah. yeah. Or you were so cool then that, man, you got to keep living that out because it, it doesn't keep that work apex anymore. of coolness going. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we make fun of that, but there's just a lot of crazy motivations people have. And just because you have kind of skewed motivations doesn't mean you're disqualified from being in ministry. No one is perfect, but we have to find places where we confess those motivations, yeah, you know, yeah. where, where we have friends or a community of people where we can do that. So, yeah, I would tell myself to be myself, and that means um, being brave enough to find a friend or two or find support to confess my motivations um, and not to be afraid of failure in that sense, I guess. That's good, man. I mean, it's it's and it's so great and it's so true that it takes someone else to tell yourself to be myself, right? Mm. Like it, uh, that is such a community practice of like, hey friend, just be you. Like it's, it's such a hard message for you to receive from yourself, but to have a yeah. friend that would like listen to you and look right back at you and be like, you know what? Maybe you should just try being you. And that's yeah. oh, that's a good com- that's a good comfort because yeah, it and it's require... super su- <laughs> it seems super easy, right? Like just be yourself. But you know, for a lot of us, especially early on in youth ministry, it's just so much easier to hide behind the persona of being the youth pastor. Yeah, and, and, and it's such a persona you can wear, yeah, right? Like you right. can you can so easily put it on, and that's yeah, yeah. so dangerous, dangerous. Yeah. Okay. Question though, because youth ministers love practical things. Like we just always get judged on practicality. What is something that in this time frame that maybe you're doing learning, uh, you're, you're serving at a church, you're, you're leading and you're teaching, you know, current and future youth workers, youth ministers, what's something that's like a tip or an application or a process, um, that's helping you out. I think a lot of folks have shared maybe like apps they've utilized or processes or like what's something that's happening right now in your life that is like Mm -hmm. bettering you, uh, not because you can't just be yourself, but what's something that's like really helping you like grow or learn or make you more efficient or productive. Yeah. Okay. So two things. I mean, one would be probably um, more helpful is uh, I had an experience, you know, out of my own failure of of teaching confirmation um, with kids in my church, and I was at something, some youth worker event or something, and I made some kind of off off the cuff comment about how how interesting it is that most people in our churches really want young people to be reading the Bible, but that no one's reading the Bible with them. In other words, like we want young people to either in a cohort, their own age cohort, or by themselves to be reading the Bible, but really in many yeah. ways the Bible is a communal book, and it's a weird thing. I mean, we do it in our modern um, you know, society. We've done it for years to read the Bible alone, but it really isn't a, a lone devotional book. It's a book of a community read together. So I said that, and then I had like this lightning strike, like, oh, wait, I'm teaching confirmation, and we're not reading the Bible. Like we're not having adults <laughs> read the Bible with kids. So yeah. you know, I'm a, we're a Presbyterian church, so I decided to change that. And we're a small church, so we had three kids going through confirmation. So I invited three adults from the session to come and read the Bible with these kids. 
and like just we like, came like we not would, not teach a lesson but like read the bible with them nope come we would come we would read two chapters of like the book of john or the book of acts and then we just had three questions three big questions and the three big questions were um what do you find intriguing in this text what do you find confusing in this text and who are you in this text And then we just talked about it, and it was really quite an amazing experience because it leveled the playing field. And so you would have these adults saying, "Like, I don't get, I don't get here why Jesus would say this." And then you have, you know, uh, eleventh grader saying, "Well, it's because in the last chapter, idiot, Jesus said that." You know, like there was, uh, there was, it it wasn't. They didn't say it's irony. It's irony. Come on, yeah. yeah. (laughs) There was just this mutuality as they kind of wrestled with scripture together. And then, you know, talk about telling stories when we asked, like, who are you in this text? I mean, the way that they'd have to narrate those experiences, you know, an adult saying, like, I'm this person because at work things are really bad right now and um, it's really stressful or or whatever. So that's one thing that's been really kind of transformational to me is, like, if we really want kids to read the Bible, what would it mean – to get adults to read the Bible, or you could say the same thing with prayer. Like we want, we ask people in our church to pray for kids or they're willing to pray for kids, but do they ever pray with them? Um, is, is a big difference. So that's one. The other thing is a really nerdy thing. That's been really inspiring to me, but it's probably, well, has been kind of the catalyst to most of the work I've been doing now is I've just, uh, just a huge, uh, hugely into the philosophical work of Charles Taylor in his book, The okay. Secular Age, and so have been reading through that. I don't think too many youth workers are going to want to uh, jump into that. It's a you know seven hundred page deep philosophical book, but it's so deeply insightful. And so my own work has been uh, trying to uh, bring that into the ministry world and do a lot of theological construction on that and and and, and things like that. So I've, I've books coming out in the future around that. So if anyone's really um, I don't know. Wants to torture themselves by reading a seven hundred page book. This is it. Um, if you, if you really want to read book. a long book, or if you want to put your laptop on a stand, also good. It's like about the keyboard. It will keep it's a great. door open. It's it's a great <laughs> uh, book to keep a door open. But it's also really. I mean, I tell my own students like it's the first philosophical book written in the twenty first century that will be read in the twenty second century. But okay. there's just some incredibly insightful things about. Um, I think the challenges that many youth workers face, um, and so hopefully. Um, be able to translate some of that and get that um, get that out to to people okay. as we go. So, but that's been very, that's very that's inspiring. Great. No, that's good. Well, uh, Andy, thank you so much for hanging out with us today on the podcast. Helpful stuff, thoughtful stuff, meaty reflections, encouraging reflections for youth ministers, for youth workers. Um, if people wanted to connect with you more, uh, ask you questions, like what's the way that folks can like keep up with you or like maybe where are you headed next? If you got little nuggets of like you shared a little bit about the Charles Taylor book, but what were some kind of like directions that you're going and kind of your work and how folks can find you, all that stuff? Yeah, I, I won't get too uh, self-promotion-y here, but um, I mean, people can always find me on Twitter and my, my own website is uh, org. I think, so you can find me there. Um, but we, uh, the big things that I'm working on, we're working on a, a grant that has uh, that's on science and youth ministry and really trying to ask what, what does – the science education and the things, the scientific theories that young people are learning mean for how they think about God. So you can find us. We're called Science for Youth Ministry. Um, and then, yeah, I have a book coming out with Baker called uh, Faith Formation in a Secular Age uh, in okay. August. That will be uh, interesting. And then I have a, another book coming out earlier, actually, at the beginning of the summer. That's a memoir. Um, it's kind of my first big kind of trade book. It's called uh, The Grace of Dogs. And it's about the story of my kids and the death of our black lab and okay. trying to look for the spiritual dynamics of that. And so 
it seems a little off tune um, for what my other work has been. But again, like I said earlier, it's trying to like delve into these experiences we have and where God we find God in them, and particularly young people's children's my own children's connection to their dog uh, i think has some deep significance so that book's That's yeah good, called man. the grace of dogs a boy a black lab and a father search for the canine soul so you can find that in the summer so uh <laughs> That's awesome. a lot of crazy things coming out so so there you have it friends dr professor andy root giving you the heartfelt thoughtful intellectual conversational and honest after nine answers and a couple good books coming down the pipe Hopefully you've heard some good words that have encouraged you, affirmed you to continue in youth ministry as the place that you are discovering your own personhood because it is vital and revitalizing for young people today. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you soon. Thanks for listening to After Nine. To continue the conversation, find us on Twitter or Facebook at After Nine Ministries or visit www.afternineministry.com to subscribe and learn more.